0: Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of The Law and Finance Show. And today we have a great guest on because one of the things that I tell a lot of lawyers is that, you know, finding the right finance partner is a a lot about finding the right connection with the firm and the people of that firm. And to be honest, We provide bookkeeping and accounting services and CFO services, but we may not be the right fit. So one of the things is best for you to do is to start to get to know different firms that you can find the right fit for you. And I'm excited to share today's guest. So stay tuned for today's episode. So without further ado, let me bring on my guest, Brooke Lively. Welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I am awesome. And I just have to say, I so agree with you about not being the right fit for every firm. And we very often tell people to talk to two or three accountants, bookkeepers, or CFOs to find the right one that's a match. Everybody's Mm. different.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's something I, I tell people is that you know, that trust factor when you're, especially if you're trying to hire someone for CFO services, you got to have to have trust that you're going to actually rely on their information, their insight. Because if you don't trust them, you're probably not going to do what they recommend.
1: Yeah. Well, and and exactly, you're not going to do what they recommend. You're going to second guess everything you do do. And that's not, that's not the purpose. You're, you're hiring a CFO, you're hiring an accountant, you're hiring a bookkeeper that's an expert that will help you grow to the next level. And so you want to have that trust and you want to have that confidence in them. And sometimes it's a personality thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's fine.
0: Absolutely. Well, I guess before we jump too far into the conversation, first, I wanna say thank you for doing this while you are on vacation traveling. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. I'm just going to say disclaimer here. If we hear trucks or airplanes, I'm going to try to mute it, but you know.
0: (laughs) Well, I I appreciate you, you coming on while you're on vacation. Um, and then also before we get too deep into the conversation for those that may not be familiar with your background, can you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Good gosh, which version do you want? Do you want the like resume version or do you want the version of how I ended up where I ended up?
0: Let's start with let's let's briefly touch on the resume version, then let's go into how you ended up. Here.
1: Okay, I am um you are a CPA. I am an MBA, CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst. Um my I have a double MBA in corporate finance and investments and um, did what you're supposed to do when you have that kind of degree. I went to work for a hedge fund and I was an analyst for a hedge fund. And my father, who was an attorney, called me. He liked to shed his law partners every seven to 10 years. So he would restart his firm every seven to 10 years. Don't ask me why, but you know, whatever. So he called and um, was restarting his law firm, shedding his two law partners, and for the first time in like 25 years, lost the woman who really pra- who really managed his practice. So he said, I need some help. So I said, okay, worked at the hedge fund a few, I kept working at the hedge fund, worked in Dallas a few days a week and from my father's office a couple of days a week. I was an analyst. They didn't care where I was. And eventually quit the hedge fund and kept working for my father. And we, you know, scaled it to a seven-figure firm in less than a year and um, did all of that. And then one day I hired a guy to help with sales and marketing. And his client started coming to me and saying, can you do for us what you do for your father? And I was like, What do you mean? And that was when I realized that lawyers went to law school because they were promised no numbers. Right. And that running their business by the numbers, um, could feel intimidating. And so I said, yes. And that's how we started CapCap.
0: Nice. Nice. I I love that. I love that. Now, what was it like for you? I mean, leaving the world of hedge funds, you know, stepping into that? Like, was it an emotional process? Cause you had invested, I mean, it's a lot of hard work to become a CFA. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I, I, yes, I'm still carrying the weight. <laughs> like it was like 10 pounds per year. Um, cause it's a multi-year exam. Um, you know, it's funny in some ways, I think I don't use my CFA and in other ways, like this information will just come pouring out of my mouth, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh that's CFA knowledge." Um, it was. I think I like the people we work with. I love our team. I love our clients, um, and it's much more interactive. I'm an extrovert, so when I was a when I was at the hedge fund, I sat in a room with my five screens. I had four computer screens and a TV. And the TV was on CNBC all day. And, you know, I just was like chugging, plug and chug on the numbers all day long. And so I like this. It's more interactive. It uses a different part of my MBA. It uses more of that corporate finance. And frankly, I did not get here. I I didn't go to grad school until I was 35. So I had this whole other career and I get to use what I learned in retail in law firms, as weird as it sounds. And that's really fun and fulfilling.
0: Yeah. I I love that because one of the things that I find with a lot of law firms is, and then you find this with lawyers, I think, period. And, And I even find this with other accounting professionals and finance professionals is that when it comes down to like thinking about the strategically about the business side that tends to be a big gap for them and yeah. i'm curious with you know your experience what have you seen like when it comes to that
1: well interestingly enough i find that attorneys like they run on their gut instinct and their gut instinct is really actually pretty good the problem with doing that is that you make a decision based on your gut and then you go home and you're having dinner with your family and you're like, is that the right thing to do? Should I have done that? And then you go to sleep and you wake up at 3 a.m. Oh, maybe I should have gone the other way and not this way. And then you're thinking about it in a deposition with your client. When you work with a team like ours or like yours, you start to make decisions based on data. And so you make that decision once and move on. So very often, what we're doing is we're giving strategic advice and we're giving the data that backs it up so that they can make the decision one time. And it may be what their gut instinct said. It may not be, but either way, that decision is made once.
0: Now, I wonder, is that something that you kind of, you know, honed during your hedge fund days, as you said, like, as you're you're plugging the numbers, I mean, with or where a lot of your decisions in that world, hey, they're gonna be backed up by by calculations, mathematics and and formulas. Like there's a clearer logic to how you make decisions in that world. I guess, would that be a fair um, perspective?
1: Yes, and I think I always looked at those intangible factors too. As much as I was going to have the data I was using it to back up decisions. Now, if the data said something totally different than what I was hearing other places, you know, that was a decision I just wasn't going to make. You know, That's a stock we weren't going to buy. Um, or maybe we would if I really believed in the numbers. But I think that it's always kind of a blend of, of what you're thinking and what you're feeling and the data, which is why I like to have the data to back things up.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I, I think that's probably what makes, you know, people so excited to work with your, your organization. I mean, because that can be a scary thing of uh, whether you just go all on your gut or whether you go all data, which the reality is, is probably somewhere it's a marriage between the two when it comes down to decisions.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's perfect. You know, use the data to guide use the data to show you where to look, use the data to help you uncover things and use it to back up decisions.
0: Awesome, I love it. So now I'm curious, you know, as you kind of, you you did that for your father's firm, you started getting contacted by others and was like, hey, there is a, you know, there's a path for me to do this, you know, for others you know, how did that journey kind of unfold and you kind of get to the point of then starting to assemble a team to be able to do it more?
1: So um, I went to the consultant that we were using and I said, you know, I can't make money off of your clients without your permission, cutting you in, like there, I just, I didn't feel comfortable doing that, not who I am. and And so he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you private label it for us? So we had a three-year contract. I private labeled for him. I had non-attorney clients outside of that. Um, And then we chose not to renew the contract after three years. So when I first started, I told my brother, so my father and brother were practicing together at this point. um, And I, I told my brother, I'm like, okay, when I get seven clients, I'm quitting and he's like yeah, yeah yeah whatever so it was like the daily thing okay i got two clients i got three i've got five so i walked in one day i sat down in his office i said okay i've got seven clients i'm out and he's like he like looks up from whatever he was working he was like whoa, whoa, whoa wait seriously I'm like yes i've been telling you this and um i mean he was pretty much gobsmacked I, he was just Um, but I had trained someone to do my job. I'm like, dude, I've been telling you this for six weeks. So, um, so that was great. Uh, we grew with them after the three years, we changed what we did for attorneys. And because I realized that we needed to go deeper, that the firms that we wanted to work with, because I think we work with slightly larger firms than, than what you do a lot of times. and. We wanted to go deeper we wanted to be more done for you we we wanted to be able to work with all the different people on the team um and we wanted to build a team for each client so that was one of those things we just started finding the right cfos and finding the right analysts and finding the right law firms
0: Nice. Nice. You know, I'm curious about that. Like you you mentioned about, you know, kind of from the way you started off helping these law firms at some point, like I said, was it an event that happened or was it just something you had just seen over time that made you realize like, hey, we want to take a deeper approach to, you know, helping these organizations.
1: Um, frankly, it was feeling frustrated because there were things that I wanted to do But I was constrained because we were, because I was private labeling for somebody. I had his time constraints, his budgetary constraints. And for example, we had a client. I had a client and I had prepped him to go get a bank loan. And like we put together the loan package. I'd gone over everything. And then I had to send him like, go meet with the bank. And he comes back. Totally undone. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this blah, 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 blah. I'm, not, I'm never going to get the loan. My whole offer is going to crash because he was growing exponentially. He, I mean, it was huge. I think he went from half a million to five million in like five or six years. So huge growth. And we were having a hard time funding it because, you know, growth takes money. And so we really needed this bank loan. He was out of space. He, Needed to hire. I mean, there were all kinds of things going on. And he was just panicked. And I was like, okay, calm down. Take a deep breath. What did they say? And he said, they want my pro-pharmus, blah, 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 blah. It went off again. And I was like, hold on. He's like, what? I'm like, you know that budget we did for next year? He's like, yeah. I'm like, they want that. And there was a heartbeat of silence. And then profanities came out of this very nice Mormon's mouth. I mean, I didn't know that he knew those words. And he was so mad. And I was so frustrated because if I had been able to be on the phone when he was in that room, I could have talked to the bankers. I could have talked in their language. I could have walked through that. And it would have been smooth and easy. And I could have said, oh, you need the pro formas and emailed them. Here you go. They're right there. What do you want to know? Like we could have wrapped it up. And so that was something that I wanted to be able to talk to everybody in their financial ecosystem. I wanted to talk to their bookkeeper. I wanted to be able to talk to their CPA and have that conversation of, you know, let's is the is the tax strategy still the same? Because it's been six months and this is how the law firm's changed. And then as we grew and started working with bigger firms, and and you know this, very often the owner is a bottleneck. And, you know, I didn't want to give the owner a ton of homework and not do anything ourselves. So what we started doing was working with, you know, their managing attorney, working with whoever's doing their billing, working with their marketing people directly so that we could go around the owner. And our calls with the owner can be more strategic and more informative and less asking questions. Mm
0: -hmm. That's an amazing approach because that's one of the things that I find like as you, and I think that's, that's true for any business, like as you grow as the owner, there are less things that are in your direct, you know, I guess you'd say, you know, responsibilities where it's like you're, you're delegating more. Um, but oftentimes what I find is, like you said, the if the owner doesn't know how to set up processes or doesn't know how to empower people to go do those things, things tend to slow down and that massive growth that they're capable of doesn't really happen. So, I mean, I, I love that as a, um, as an amazing, amazing approach to it. So I'm curious, as you started looking at that, I mean, which, you know, even for yourself of leading the firm, I mean, there's only so much you can do as one person. So how did you go about, you know, adding people to your team and empowering people on your team to be able to serve more clients?
1: Yeah, I think growing Going from doing the work to owning a company, going from having a practice where you're in it to owning a company that really is profitable and runs without you and is not all about you is one of the most humbling things I've ever done. It was hard. It, I mean, talk about taking an ego hit. Because you go from being the one that has all the answers, right? You know everything. You can do everybody's job. You know how to do it. You tell them what to do. And all of a sudden you're hiring people and hopefully you're hiring people who are smarter than you are. And so I did that. I started hiring CFOs that had this incredible experience that that frankly I didn't have. I mean, they were smarter and better. <laughs> and um, then we started hiring Analysts, because we wanted to change what we were doing, and I, there is no way I can do the analyst job. <laughs> Same with our accountants, controllers, and bookkeepers. Um, my team will tell you that I am the worst bookkeeper ever. We had one true accounting class. We had a cost. We had a cost accounting class, maybe, and then a regular accounting class. And the first day of of class, the professor walked in and was like, "Okay." Does everybody have 10 fingers? We're like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, then you'll be fine. If you have 10 fingers, you can make it to the final exam. He's like, well, maybe you need 10 fingers and 10 toes. If anybody's missing a digit, come let me know. And so I'm not a good bookkeeper. Um, you start to let go. You start to realize how many hats you have on and you start to take them off. And you know, you know, one of the first things I gave up was doing our own accounting. I hired someone to do the accounting. I hired someone or in bookkeeping. I hired someone as an assistant to take some of the clerical things off my plate. And eventually I took off the CFO hat. And that was that was hard. <laughs> because I loved it. And I love our clients. And they're so much fun. And yet here I was, I'm like, um, so, like I said, it's humbling. However, mm-hmm. it's what the company needs you to do to be able to get to that next level,
0: mm-hmm. and that's what also, you, you know, I, I think that that is such a, a a parallel to what so many law firms are probably experiencing themselves as they're trying to grow. Like as you and I were talking beforehand, like. Our firm, my firm, you know, we usually work with firms kind of, you know, 400,000 up to like 5 million, even in the, that couple million where it's like, hey, you guys are growing. Um, you're going to have to start thinking differently and, and you probably should work with a firm who can help you make those mental switches because it is an emotional process, like you said, of growing. It's not just a numbers game. <laughs>
1: It's not, all of a sudden you start to feel a little useless in your company. So do you know about EOS, the traction, the entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. operating Mm -hmm. system? Okay, so we work with an EOS coach and um, he's awesome. And we love him. And when we started, he said a lot of times when owners start EOS, they kind of feel like they've been put out to pasture and it's really hard and he looked at me and he said as hard as this is going to be for your team it's going to be substantially harder for you and you know what's the what's the saying you know your business can only grow as much as you as the owner can grow you got to grow you got to change
0: absolutely i love it well if people are interested in learning more about you know your firm your organization you know, your, your team, the types of service you provide, where's a good place for people to find you online?
1: I think the easiest place is our website. It's cathcap.com, C-A-T-H-C-A-P.com. And yeah, there's, you can contact us, you can learn about us. There's a, a bunch of resources on there. Yeah. I think that's probably the best place.
0: Awesome. I love it. Well, before we wrap up, one question I love asking, you know, every guest is because in every conversation, we talk about a lot of amazing things. If you had to look back and say, okay, what are two takeaways that you want, you know, law firms and lawyers to have from this conversation? What would those two takeaways be?
1: I think the first is that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay not to know everything. Attorneys go to law school to be the expert and it's really hard for them to stand up and say, I don't know something. It's really hard for, for you and I to stand up and say, we don't know something. Um, and, and, and it's okay not to know something. Just find people that it's okay to open up to. Your banker is probably not the one. <laughs> don't tell them you don't know what you're doing.
0: You know, that that is such a, a true point, <laughs> especially when you consider that your banker is probably going to be a little more risk averse than, you know, some of your other advisors. So yeah, I think that, that is, that's wisdom.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I was telling a banker one time, the story about our client in the pro formas and all that. He's like, why didn't you just ask what a pro forma was? And I looked at him, I said, if someone had asked you what a pro forma was, would you have loaned them the money? And he's like, <laughs> "Well, yeah, no, probably not." I'm like, "That's why." Right. <laughs> so, I think my first piece, my first piece of advice is, you know, find people you can open up to. And I think the second one is being the owner can be really lonely. There are not a lot of people that understand what you're going through. You probably have a very fairly high risk tolerance. You're gonna go for stuff. You're 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 going to try to grow this. Your spouse probably does not have the same risk tolerance. So you go home and say, you know, I just landed this huge case and it's going to make us this much money, but we're not going to get paid for eight months. And your spouse is like, how are we paying the bill? You know, that's your employees don't want to hear that you're worried about making payroll because all they hear is you're not getting paid. So they're halfway out the door looking for a new job. Find some other people that you can talk to. Find other owners, whether it's through an attorney group or something like EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, find a safe place.
0: Awesome. You know, I definitely love that advice. And and I mean, that is... Perspective, I would definitely say that I, I've seen, you know, so many, so many entrepreneurs kind of miss on is that hey, your employees are not, they didn't choose to be an employee because they wanted to be an entrepreneur within your company.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're an employee for a reason.
0: <laughs> awesome. I, I love it. I love it. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the show. It has been well, a pleasure you. having you. <laughs>
1: been awesome. Thanks so much.
0: If you're looking for ideas on how to manage and grow a profitable law firm, this Facebook group is perfect for you because every week we are featuring conversations with successful lawyers and businesses related to law firms on tips, ideas, and technology that are helping many people grow and manage a profitable law firm. So if you're looking for great tips and ideas, you definitely want to click the link below so you can join the conversation and be part of the Law Firms and Finance Facebook group.